this is great. I don't get to do this on Sunday night very often. So this is fun for me. Uh, I just want to want to ask here before we uh, jump right in. Is there anybody here? It's your first time to come to Resurrection Life Church. Just your first time. Just kind of wave at me. Anybody? Yeah. Well, thank you. We're, we're glad glad you're here. All right. But uh, before we jump in the Word for a lesson tonight, let's uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the great redemption that you've given us in Christ. We thank you for your Word. And Father, tonight we ask that you would open our hearts to receive your Word. And we pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would move in this place tonight, quicken your word to us, meet every person at the point of their need. And we thank you, Father, that we will not leave the same in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to keep on talking about uh, Proverbs. We're going kind of verse by verse through Proverbs, chapters 22 and 23. But before we do that, because of what I'm going to be doing tonight with this verse in Proverbs, I want to read a little bit out of Second Peter, the first chapter. Now, now, what has happened, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. Moses and Elijah appear and are talking with Jesus about his death and his resurrection. A cloud comes, and God speaks out of the cloud and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And uh, Peter is talking about it years later. He said, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So he's saying, we were there, Peter, James, and John, we heard God speaking. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, or other translations say, made more sure, which you will do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Now listen, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For, the, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the phrase I want to start with tonight is this phrase. It says, knowing this, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. So I, I think it's really interesting that they're on the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus, the Bible says that he just begins to glow. That Moses and Elijah show up and talk. And then they hear a voice from heaven. And he says, we have a more sure word. Got that? We have a more sure word. So in other words, he's saying we saw all sorts of supernatural things, but there is something more sure than any supernatural thing you ever see. If an angel appears to you, there's something that's more sure. If you hear a voice, there's something that's more sure. Somebody comes up to you and gives you a word of prophecy, there's something that's more sure. And you say, what is more sure? This is more sure. 
This is more sure, even than a voice. The apostle Paul said, even if we or an angel from heaven preach to you any other gospel than what's been preached, he said, let them be anatema. He said, look, this, this here, this word, this is sure. And he says, it's of no private interpretation. So what that means is this, that one verse, listen, does not mean one thing to me, something else to Bernie, something else to Daniel, and something else to, to Mary, and something else to Beth. There is one true interpretation to every scripture. But now listen, there are a million applications to every scripture. There's one truth, but that truth can be shown or used in our life in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different ways. So when Nehemiah comes to rebuild the walls and to re really re-educate the children of Israel, it says that they got the children of Israel together. And by the way, they read the Bible for eight hours. And everybody just stood there. Okay, But this is what it says he did. He said they read clearly from the scripture. And then they made known to them the meaning. Or they gave them the interpretation. And then it says, and then they helped them to understand. In other words, they gave an illustration of how it works in your life. How many of you know that the Bible is supposed to work in your life? It's supposed to make a difference on Monday, not just on Sunday, and on Tuesday, and all week, and how you deal with your spouse, and how you deal with your money, and how you deal with that person that hurts you, and how you deal with your kids. It's supposed to deal with every single aspect of our lives. Now, Proverbs 23 in verse 9 says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Don't speak in the hearing of a fool. He'll despise the wisdom of your words. Now, many of you are probably thinking back to the New Testament because Jesus said something kind of similar. He said, don't cast your pearls before swine. He was, but what he was saying, he says, you know, you may have some really great spiritual truths that God has shown you, but he says, you share them with certain people. They're going to mock you. They're going to, they're going to try to talk you out of it. Now, I remember a number of years ago, a uh, pastor asked to go out to lunch, and so I took this pastor out to lunch, and I, I had one of my sons with me, and, and we sat there with this guy for about an hour and a half. And, and he said, you know, I want to meet with you, and I want to know about church growth, and I want to, you know, do some things. And so we sat down for an hour and a half, and, and I kid you not, he never stopped talking, you know, the whole time. And, and he was saying some things that, that really weren't, real kosher, weren't real good. And we're walking out and my son said to me, why didn't you say anything to him? And I said, because unsolicited advice is never listened to. You know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't looking for advice. He just wanted to say something. He just wanted to speak. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Jesus was very, very careful with his time and with what he said, to who, to, to who he said what. Jesus did not go where he was tolerated. Jesus went where he was celebrated. Jesus didn't spend a lot of time with the Pharisees. Did you notice that? He spent a lot of time with the disciples. And even among the disciples, he had Peter, James, and John. He didn't spend the same amount of time with all of the disciples. He spent different amounts of time different amounts of his energy, but Jesus didn't spend all of his time with the Pharisees because the Pharisees 
They, they barely tolerated Jesus. They weren't going to receive from him. He went where he was celebrated, where he was going to be received. And that is an extremely, extremely important thing when it comes to speaking your wisdom to go where you're received. And even in your job, you want to be in a place where you're celebrated, not in a place where you're tolerated. Now, Jesus said, don't speak in the hearing of a fool, for he'll despise the wisdom of your words. So what Jesus is saying is saying, make sure that you invest your time in the right places, in the right people. Invest your time in the right places, in the right people. Now, uh, it's been quite a while ago, there was a European economist by the name of Pareto, and he came out with a principle that was referred to as the Pareto Principle. Or the 80-20 principle. How many have heard of the 80-20 principle? It's the Pareto principle. Now, basically, the, 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 the Pareto principle says this, that you're going to get 80% of your success from 20% of what you do. And if you're in sales, you get 80% of your sales from 20% of your customers. If you're in church, then 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. At the church picnic, 20% of the people eat 80% of the food. You know, it's just, it's true. You're laughing because you know it's right. All right, you know it's right. And so so when, it, when it comes to your time, what Jesus did, he invested not in just the, the big crowds. He spent a lot of quality time. Even the whole Sermon on the Mount, you read the Sermon on the Mount. He climbed up the mountain and he sat down with his disciples and taught his disciples. That was a, that was a message to his disciples. Jesus spent a large amount of his time with just a few people because he knew he was going to reproduce. Now, I know what people say, that isn't fair. But fairness is overrated, by the way. It's just over. Now, now, you remember the parable Jesus said that there was a certain rich man, ruler, and he gave one five talents, one two, and one one, each according to his ability. Each according to his ability. Uh, he didn't give everybody the same because he recognized the results, the potential wasn't the same. And in your life, there's going to be some people that you're going to be able to have a great effect on and you need to sow into those people. There's going to be other people that you, they're, they're, they're really not going to receive from you. And that's why Jesus said a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and is with his own relatives. You know, really often the people that know you the best have the hardest time receiving from you. And really we sometimes just refer to that as the sin of familiarity. Uh, we need, now what he's saying, he's saying some people are going to value what you have to say, your wisdom. Other people are not going to value that wisdom. In Proverbs 4, 7, it says, the in the NIV, it says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, though it costs you all that you have, and get understanding. Now, when it comes to wisdom, wisdom is like a diamond that's got all sorts of different facets, different sides. You can say it's like a mountain that you climb up. And, and depending upon which direction you're climbing, you're going to see something different. But wisdom has been defined as the ability to see beforehand the outcome of any given set of actions. To see beforehand, if I do this, this is what's going to happen. And if I do that, this is what's going to happen. Um, 
when, when Absalom rebelled against King David. The Bible says that one of the people that went with him to rebel was Ahithophel. And it said that Ahithophel had been David's counselor. And in everything that he counseled David and Absalom, it says it was as if you inquired of God. He gave just, he, th- this guy was wise. This guy could see if you make this choice, this is going to be the result. In fact, as Absalom is rebelling, he asks Ahithophel for advice. And Ahithophel says, this is what you need to do. He says, give me 12,000 men. I'll pursue David. We'll find him. We'll kill him. We'll just kill him. Everybody else is going to come back in peace. And David had sent one of his friends back and said, whatever Ahithophel tells them, tell them something different. Give some other advice. And he did. And they took the wrong advice. And when they did that, Ahithophel realized they hadn't taken his wise counsel, which would have brought them victory. And so the Bible says when he saw his advice wasn't followed, he saddled his donkey, he arose, went to his house, went to his city, put his house in order, and hanged himself and died. Because he knew this is what they're going to do, and this is going to be the result. Wisdom is the ability to look ahead and see the results of your actions. You know, that's why we need to always be looking at our life, and we need to say, if I keep going the way that I'm going today, what is my legacy going to be? Where is it going to take me? You know, that's the reason why the Bible is full of so many biographies. You know, we, we have so many Bible heroes. We call them heroes. But whether you look in the Old Testament and you've got Noah, you've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, you've got Joseph, you have Moses, you have David, all these great guys. You know, you the book of Judges. It's just biography after biography after biography after biography. They're short. But each one of them shows a lesson so that we can look at a person's life and say, this is what they did, and this were the results. That's why, that's why when you read about Samson, you're going to go, you know what? I am not going to live an immoral life because that's what Samson did, and look where it took him. The Bible is there to teach us. That's why so much of it is really in a story form or a biography form to teach us what wisdom is. Ecclesiastes 7.12, Solomon about wisdom. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Now, notice he said, like, money can defend you. Um, New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 6, talks about don't put your trust. Don't put your trust in money, but in the living God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Because money to a degree is a defense. If you lose your job, how I many you know if you've got some money, you're fine. If you don't have some money, mo- they tell us that most of us live paycheck to check paycheck. If we didn't get a paycheck, we'd be in trouble in a week or two. But if you've got a bunch sitting around, you know, because really somebody said it this way, wealth is not how many things you have, it's how long can you, how long can you live at your prevalent lifestyle without any more money coming in. It's not how much stuff... It's how safe. It's how safe. So wisdom is a defense. as money is a defense. And then Solomon tells this very interesting story. He says, this is the wisdom I've seen under the sun. And it seemed great to me. He said, there was a little city with a few men in it. And a great king came against it, besieged it, and built a great snare around it. Now there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered this poor, wise man. 
Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So the, 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 the poor man in that city, through his wisdom, he delivered the city. He did something money couldn't do. But yet after it was delivered, he said, I looked and I realized wisdom's better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised. The poor man's wisdom is despised. In other words, he's saying, first of all, money is a defense, but also money gives influence. But he says, what's better than that is wisdom. What is better is wisdom. Wisdom can deliver you. He said, so wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom has wonderful, wonderful benefits. And it would, you'd think that wisdom would be like so popular and everybody would be chasing after wisdom. But it is amazing to me how few people hunger after wisdom because wisdom has to be pursued. You don't become wise by accident. And wisdom is not education. You can get a PhD and you'll have a lot of knowledge, but that doesn't give you wisdom. Wisdom is different than knowledge. In Proverbs 1, it says, wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the opening of the gate in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit upon you and I make my words known to you. What it's saying is wisdom is crying out. Wisdom is saying, I am available. In one place in Proverbs, it says, it's a shame that a fool has the ability to get wisdom, but not the desire to get wisdom. So we need to stay open to keep growing, to keep learning, to see things God's way. Because really, wisdom is seeing things God's way. Again, in 1 Corinthians 10, and it talks about all these things that have happened to the children of Israel. And it says, now all these things happened to them as an example, and they're written for our admonition on whom the ends of the world have come. I hear people talk about the Old Testament, and they say, well, that's not for us. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says all those things were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the world have come. How many know we are as close to the end as we've ever been? And it says those things are written for us. And, of course, they're written for our admonition. And uh, some of you have probably heard me say this before. But if you will look it up, in the Greek, that word actually means to slap your face. Think about that. So the Bible, when you read, it is supposed to slap you. Slap you right upside the head and say, man, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to do all that dumb stuff that Samson did. And I'm not going to get drunk like Lot because look what happened to him. And I'm not going to lie and steal like Gehazi did because look what happened to him. Now, in 2 Timothy 3, it talks about, I've got the message Bible here. It talks about the word of God. Listen to what it says here. There is nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Every part of scripture is God breathed and it's useful in one way or another. Shows us the truth, exposes our rebellion, 
corrects our mistakes, trains us in godly living. Through the word, we're put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Every part of God's word is good for something. Some of it is going to show us the truth. Some of it's going to expose our rebellion. Some of it's going to correct our mistakes. How many of you know people don't even like to know they made a mistake? All right. It's going to train us to live God's way. And it's going to shape us so that we can do what God has called us to do. You know, uh, I, I hope you have a habit of reading your Bible every single day. Now, if you don't, start. And, and you can even, uh, one of the things that I do, I, I read my Bible in English, but I listen to it in Spanish. Every day, you know, I'll listen six, seven, eight, ten chapters of the Bible in Spanish. Because I need to practice my Spanish. But uh, if you say, I just don't have time to read, and some people, I don't like to read, just get a Bible app, hit that button, boom, there it comes, all right? Proverbs 23, 6, 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the law a light, and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman. Now, our proverb is talking about be careful when you talk in the presence of a fool. You know, the Bible says if you rebuke a fool, what will he do? He'll hate you. You got to be careful where you're speaking your words of wisdom. But now, here is talking about receiving words of wisdom. And I want to read it again. The commandment is a lamp and the law is light. The reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman. So here's what this is saying. It's talking about the commandment and the law, talking about the Bible. And it says what they're going to do for you is they're going to be a lamp and they're going to give you light. Now, it's in, it's in Psalms 119 where it says that your word, it's a lamp or a light to my path. I think that's really interesting because what most of us want, we do not want like a lantern in front of us, showing us the next step. We want airplane landing lights. We want to know everything that's coming for the next 10 years. But if God showed us everything that was coming for the next 10 years, we wouldn't need to walk by faith. So he doesn't. But what the word does is it's a lamp and it's a light to your path. Keep you going in the right direction. But now listen, and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. The reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Now, what it's saying is all of us have blind spots. I've got some. You've got some. There's things that I do that other people do better that could help me do it better. And sometimes those people will come and they will give you what the Bible refers to as a reproof of instruction. They will say to me something like, hey, you know, you did this and you said that, and that was good. But do you know if you would do this, it would be even better? Now, some people get insulted by that, but wise people love that. Because the Bible says that that's the reproof of instruction. And that person loves you, and that person will help you grow. And the Bible says that's the way all of us can learn. The reproofs of instruction are the way of life. They're how you're going to improve in your life. Now, there's other people. They're going to come up, and I've had people do that, and they just come up and say, you're stupid, and that's the worst sermon I ever heard. Well, that didn't help a bit. 
<laughs> serious. Absolutely serious. How many of you know some people just come and they're just like, you're, you're bad, you did rotten, you didn't do anything right, and you're stupid. Right? They're not helping you. They're not helping you a bit. But the person that loves you and says, this is what you did, but this is how it could be better. This is how you could improve. Man, that's the reproof of instruction. The Bible says it's the way of life. All of us have blind spots. All of us have areas where we can grow and we can improve. And we need to be open for that reproof of instruction. Now, I, I love this. The lamp, the, the, the commandment, the, the law, the word. And notice what it does. It gives you the wisdom to keep you from. How many know there's some people you just need to stay away from? It mentions here the evil woman. How many of you know there's some evil men too? Literally, the word of God should give us wisdom to help us stay away from certain people. But also the reproofs of instruction. There can be some, if you've got three friends that tell you, you should be careful around that guy, be careful. All right. If you've got some people that, that, that love you that are saying something, man, and they're saying that relationship you're in, it's not right. It's not going in the right direction. Listen, listen, it's the reproof of instruction. It's the way of life and it will keep you from, it will keep you from certain situations. And our society doesn't want to be rebuked about anything. I mean, you tell somebody something and the typical response you get is don't judge me, you know? This is right for me. It may not be right for you, but it's right for me. Well, listen, that's true about chocolate. <laughs> there might be one kind of chocolate that's good for you and it's not good for me, but I'm not sure. I like all chocolate. But it's not true about morality. All right? You see, our, our, we live in a society that does not accept the fact that there are absolutes, that does not accept the fact that there is absolute truth. Jesus said it. He said, your word is truth. It's truth. There is an absolute standard. But we live in a society that, that, that just embraces in every way tolerance. And it has almost become a religion. And, and I personally believe that tolerance is probably the greatest sin in our society. Listen to Revelation chapter 2. This is Jesus. How many you know He's got it going on. They killed him. He rose from the dead. King of kings coming back, you know. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Calls herself a prophetess. But her inner teaching, she lists means my servants into sexual immorality, into, into eating food, sacrificed to idols. What does Jesus say? I have this against you, that you tolerate. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Right? You see, there, there, there is truth. There is truth. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't love everybody. We love everybody. We're willing to help everybody. But we're not going to say that every way leads to God. We're not going to say that every lifestyle is pleasing to God. Because it's not. It's not. All right? And uh, we live in a world that says, well, you're just intolerant. You know, you're, you're this, you're that. But there is truth. There's truth. That's why the Bible says that. Listen, it says this. It says, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. You know, when you stand up for righteousness, there's going to be people that are not going to like your standing up for righteousness. I thought it was really interesting that just, uh, just recently, 
our vice president, President Vice President uh, Pence, he he was literally crucified on television because of his Christian beliefs. Made made a mockery. In fact, they, they said he was mentally unstable. Probably needed to be committed because of his religious beliefs, his Christian beliefs, things that you and I would believe. You know, but when you keep putting that word on the inside and you keep submitting to the Spirit of God, God is going to keep on speaking to you. In fact, it says this in Isaiah. He says, your ear will hear a word behind you. And it'll say, this is the way, walk in it. And whenever you turn to the right and whenever you turn to the left. It's just saying, you get that word down on the inside of you and you're submitting to the Spirit of God, you're just going to be walking, and it's just going to say to you, this is the way. This is the way. Walk in it. Don't go over there. This is the way. This is the way. Don't go that way. This is the way. That word will talk to you. You see, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is not on the inside for a ride. He's our guide. He is our guide. Um, uh, I remember years ago when we would travel, we would go to AAA, and they'd give you the map. How many, remember, how many older folks remember the map? You'd get the, you'd get the map, all right? And that map would help you get where you're supposed to go. But, man, you'd be, there'd, be, there'd be traffic jams, and there'd be road construction, and you're, where's the map? Honey, where's the, where do I turn? You know, where's the map? And, but now, you just talk to your phone. It says, take me to St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> I want to go to Pastor Joe's house. That's 459 Hickory Lane. And it says, getting directions, go right for six miles, then turn left at such and such a street. You have, you have 403 miles to go, and you will arrive at 1006. How many know a guide is better than a map? We've got a guide. And it's just not a phone. It, he is alive on the inside of us. He's alive. And, and, and he's going to speak to you. He's going to be saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Uh, well, our time is up. So I'm just going to ask you to bow your head for just a moment. And I want to ask you, if you are making time in your life for the word of God today, for the wisdom of God. Because really, God's wisdom is hidden in his word. It's hidden in his word. And I just want you to ask yourself, what am I doing with God's word? Am I taking the time to read it? Am I taking the time to meditate on the word? Am I taking the time to listen? Get on my phone, just put it on my phone. Listen to the word of God that gets down on the inside of me. Because the commandment and the law, they're going to speak to you. They're going to teach you. They're going to keep you going. The commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. And they're going to keep you from certain things. They're going to lead you in the direction that God has for your life. And I want to challenge you. Wherever you're at, say, God, do you want more for me in the word? Do I need to spend more time in your word? You know, and I won't say this, it, it's, it, it's never a burden to get in the Word. It's never a burden. Right? In fact, earlier in Proverbs, it says this, if you will take time 
in the word of God, what God will do is he will give you length of days and long life. And when it says there length of days, it means that God will expand your day so you can get more done in your day. When you take time with God, it's not time away from your day. It's time that multiplies your day. I, I remember reading uh, about one great evangelist, and he said, I have so much to do today, I'm going to have to spend an extra hour in the word and prayer. Because he realized God was going to bless his day. God was going to order his steps. And it's true for, it was true for him, and it's true for you, and it's true for me. Was every head's bowed and every eye's closed tonight. You know that our society, it doesn't believe in absolute truth. It doesn't believe that there's just one way to heaven. In fact, they believe there's multiple ways. They believe that all good people go to heaven. But I want you to listen. The Bible says that forgiven people go to heaven. That everyone is welcome. Everyone can get in the same way that everyone can meet the requirements. And that is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. He was saying, I'm the only one that came and shed his blood after living a perfect life and paid for your sin. And all of your efforts could never make you right with God. Just like all of my efforts could never make me right with God. So he said, you must be born again. And that means you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. That's why the Bible says in John chapter 1, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. It is not enough to believe in God, to know about God. It's not enough to pray. You need to receive Jesus as the one who died and paid for your sins and as the one who is the Lord of your life. And if you're here tonight, you're not right with God. You don't know where you stand with God. Or you might say, I'm a Christian, but I don't know God. This is for you. When I say three in a moment, would you lift your hand? We're going to pray. God's going to meet you in this place. And something supernatural is going to happen today. You're going to receive forgiveness. You're going to be right with God. He's going to do a miracle in your heart. Make you new on the inside. And you're going to be on your way to heaven. As you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying is, God, I know I've made mistakes. I know I've sinned. And I'm coming to Jesus to be forgiven and to be saved. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying today, I'm giving him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. Two. Get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying tonight, by faith, I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your kingdom. On my way to heaven. Three. Lift the hand. Say, pray with me, Pastor. Pray with me. Not where I should be. I want to get right. Thank you. God bless you. Someone else. Include me. Include me. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. All right. Now, would everyone please just take one hand, place it over your heart. We're going to pray with those that have just lifted their hands. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. Thank you. You've heard my prayer. 
my past is gone, that I'm your child, a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.